Like it or not, Yeshua taught Hasidic Judaism before Hasidic Judaism was even a thing. If you hope to make a point, then you better rely upon primary and secondary sources and not YouTube theology. Did not Yeshua say Yeshuot v'yelachim is of the Yehudim? When Hashem says in Deuteronomy to listen to the rulings of the Sanhedrin or the penalty of death, I don't think he was kidding. If you're a sacred namer, a two-house theologian, a chirite, a one-Torah theologian, and you reject the rabbis and the sages, get ready to have your foundation be rocked. Already, Bochim Habayim, ladies and gentlemen. Shalom and welcome to Brutal Planet, right here on Yeshiva Radio. And also make sure to go and check out the archives of this program uh, for free on your podcast app on your Apple or Android device. Make sure to go into the little search bar, type in Brutal Planet. If you don't have any of those devices, then you can go over to our website, which is lapidjudaism.com. Go and click on the podcast tab, and then click on the nice little picture of Brutal Planet right there, and you'll be able to get our 2,000 archives right over there. Also, make, make sure to go and do a search on both Vimeo as well as YouTube for Lapid Judaism. Go and subscribe to us there if you like video as opposed to uh, MP3. You know, you can go and get all of the archives right over there as well. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's an honor and a pleasure to be with each and every single one of you here today. And, you know, it's, it's crazy because after so many years of doing this program... I thought that I've covered everything. <laughs> and the thing about it, though, is that, yes, 2,000 archives. You would, One would think, you know, there's something that it is that you have not covered. But one of the things that we learn throughout that of our study of the Scripture and study of Judaism, study of Torah of Chazel, you know, and Kabbalah, and, you know, Torah Shebektav, as well as, uh, you know, the Ketuvim, Nevi'im, and Brit Hadashah. The thing is that we end up finding that, you know, that this journey is never ending. We're constantly finding very simplistic things <laughs> that it is that we have not discussed on this program and that we have not discussed, you know, uh, to the extent that maybe it is that we need to discuss it. And the thing about it, though, is that I was noticing something the past couple of weeks on social media, and there seems to be this uptick in advocacy for illegal drugs, advocacy for things like marijuana. And so I decided to dive into the scripture as well as some other resources here, all of which of these that we are using, whatever here that you see on the desk over here, um, to go and dig into this manner. And to see whether or not it is that the advocacy for marijuana use is actually kosher in any way, shape, or form. And the thing about it, though, is many people, there, there seems to be the, these talking points on both sides, okay? You have, you know, the, the marijuana advocates 
who go and, you know, say, well, you know, there are studies done by Harvard. There's studies done by this place and that place. But see, the thing about it, though, is that they're not being very honest in the fact that, you know, they always cite Harvard studies. But the funny thing about it, though, is that you'll find conflicting studies with the studies that it is that they cite at the very same school, <laughs> you know. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this, you know, in a much more three-dimensional way. And we're going to bring out some sources within that of the Torah or within that of the Torah, the Ketuv, Nevi'im, Brit and so on and so forth, that it is that you may not have uh, noticed. And we're also going to take some of those talking points that we end up seeing, you know, from both sides, as a matter of fact, in terms of definitions in Greek. And I decided with those definitions that we ended up finding, I decided to go and look at Franz Dalage, what it is that he rendered, because I don't know Greek. And I also decided to go and to look at the Kaboris Codex as well. And as you guys know, that I am a Aramaic primus. So I, so I decided to get a little bit more of a three-dimensional look at this thing than many people are accustomed to on this matter. So what we are going to do here is we're going to go ahead and get started here. And we are going to start with the Book of Mishlei, as a matter of fact. And for those who don't know Hebrew, Mishlei is the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 28. Okay, I'm going to be reading this from the OJB, the Orthodox Jewish Bible. And it says, He hath no rule over his own ruach, is like an ear that is broken down and without a choma, without a wall. What we have going on here within the 25th chapter of Mishlei or Proverbs, is we see that basically that a person has to guard their nefeshot. They have to battle their Yetzirah daily. They have to kill their Yetzirah da daily and have the uh, uh, the uh, uh, Yetzirah flourish. Our Yetzirah should overtake our Yetzirah in everyday life. As a matter of fact, the Talmud goes and makes note Within that, a Sukkah 52a talks about the two comings of Messiah through Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. But it also relates the ideas of the uh, Messiah, son of Joseph, dying and all that other and all and all that stuff, and how it is that these things are in relation to that of one killing their Yetzirah. Okay, and how it is that. The Yetzirah will say one thing, and then the Yetzir Hatov will say something else, and it defines us based upon what the response is. For instance, it goes and it makes note that um, you know some some will say, "Well, how is it that we could ever have con conquered such a huge mountain?" And those are those who it is that are a part of the Yetzirah. You know, they're controlled by their Yetzirah. Those who are controlled by their Yetzir Hatov would then end up going go, going and saying this is no big deal you know we 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 stomped on this 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 molehill you know and all that stuff because of the fact that we see how it is that our yetzer our inclination or our pesoniyud the inner man how it is that those affect us in our perception of many different things okay and so this is our starting point what does this have to do with uh, you know, being for or against marijuana advocacy has a great deal. It has a great deal. Because we see something else within that of the Scripture in terms of Ecclesiastes, as a matter of fact, 
Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1. And it says there, Dead flies cause the perfumers shemen to send forth a foul odor. So doth a little shiklut outweigh chokmah and kavod. Okay? And, you know, the thing about it, though, is that we think of that, uh, I tend, whenever I think of this, I think of that Guns N' Roses song. <laughs> yes, yes, we are a religious, uh, uh, you know, radio program when we're mentioning a Guns N' Roses song, but there's a song called Bad Apples. And the chorus goes, one bad apple spoil the whole blankety bunch. You know, and the thing about it, though, is that that is actually a concept that we find being talked about all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 10. We see how it is that we allow a little bit of Yetzirah, a little bit of influence from the inner Satan to enter within us. And we say, you know, that's that's not a big deal. I can, I can keep this at bay here. But see, we don't understand the job of the Yetzirah and how it is that the Yetzirah comes in through the back door for one purpose and one purpose only. According to that of Rabbeinu Bachia in Havot Lahavot, Duties of the Heart, he says that the job of the Yetzahara ultimately is to kill you. The job is to kill you spiritually first, then to kill you physically. Now, I want you to think, anybody who has ever known of a drug addict, I want you to think on this. Can you find me one crack addict? That hasn't started with marijuana. You're not going to find one. You're not going to find one. There are studies that go back and forth as to whether or not marijuana is a gateway drug. Now, the thing about it is that you will hear many say it was not a gateway drug for me. I still do marijuana today and I haven't gone past marijuana. But then again, find me one crack addict that didn't start with marijuana. You're not going to find one. Not a single one. And the thing about it is when they get to that point, there was a start of something. There was something that caused them to start with whatever it is that they started with. That caused them to start at marijuana. There was this turning point in their life that said, you know what? I, it, may, it may have been something like, I'm just going to try this. And then they say, hey, they, hey, this isn't too bad. You know, it kind of, you know, makes me, uh, you know, a little bit... Uh, one way or the other, you know, because it has different effects on different people based upon their body makeup. And so the thing about it, though, is that you find that they start to increase in their doing of these things. And then after a while, you know, one of the things that we see in terms of science when it comes to allergens and all these other things, how is it that a person gets rid of an allergy? Well, they actually get, you know, injected with whatever it is that they're allergic to, and that helps to kill the allergy. You know, and, and so, you know, we see this also within science in terms of, you know, you've heard of the crop fields, how it is that they've had to increase the pesticides that go into crop fields for, you know, your apples, your lettuce, you know, and all, and all these things. Why? Because the bugs have gotten immune to them. And the thing about it, though, is that this is the way that life works. You know, things, people get immune to certain things and dosages of certain things have to be upped. You take, for instance, myself, you know, I don't. I rarely get sick. I probably get sick maybe once every seven years or so. And when I do, it really sucks. You know, I'm up throwing up for a couple of days and, you know, not able to move. I mean, it hits me hard. 
but it rarely ever happens to me. Like I said, once every seven years. And the thing about it, though, is that whenever it is that I take a Tylenol or something like that or a um, uh, a Benadryl for allergy or something like that, which is rare, it never happens. It makes me, you know, a little bit, you know, because I'm not used to that. My body's not 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 used to that. I remember one time I uh, <laughs> decided to try some NyQuil. I didn't know, and this, I think I was like 21 or something like that at the time. And I'd been a heavy drinker before then, but I didn't realize that NyQuil <laughs> had, the, had alcohol in it. And I remember just a couple of things, you know, and again, you know, I was... I was a drinker at that time. I used to drink a lot. And I remember sitting on the couch and then I got up and I was like, whoa, I'm drunk, <laughs> you know? And so it hit me a whole lot harder than it would hit anybody else because I don't take anything, you know, for, you know, anything. You know, whenever it is that I do get sick, you know, it's like, okay, I want my soup. I want my Gatorade. I want some uh, uh, some Sprite Zero or 7-Up Zero or whatever, whatever, you know, I want some of that. You know, I, I, and I crave those things and they're, you know, they're helpful, you know. And so, you know, the thing about it, though, is that we have to understand that body makeup has a lot to do with this, it has a great deal to do with this. Now, the thing is that what we've got to do as well is that, first of all, we can all go and look at the scripture and give our own interpretation of these things. It's very easy to do. And the thing about it, though, is that, again, one of the things I always end up saying is that we are very far removed from the times in which it is that these things were written, okay? And so with being far removed from those times, one of the things that we have to do is we have to go to citation during the times of the Bible, during the times of the first century, we have to go to those things. So what we're going to do is go to the words of Hazel. We're going to go to the words of the Talmud here. And this is what it says in Eruvim 54a. It says, Rabbi Judah, son of Rabbi Hayah, compared the drugs of humans to drugs of Hashem. When man administers a drug to another, it may be beneficial to one limb but injures the other, or, or, but injures another. But with the Holy One, blessed be He, it is not so. He gave a Torah to Israel, and it is a drug of life for all the body, as it is said, and healing to all His flesh. We find that in Mishlei chapter 4, verse 22. The entire citation is Eruvim 54a, within that of the Talmud. So we are checking these things to make sure that it is that we are on the right track in terms of how it is that we are interpreting these, these, these things. So within that, we see truth within that of Torah Shebi'alpeh. We talked about the crack addict and all that stuff, and we talked about what Robina Bachia said, that the goal of the Yetzahara is to ultimately to kill you. How does the Yetzirah work? Yetzirah will work in many different ways in which it is we are weak. Yetzirah will work in the ways of maybe drug addiction, maybe within that of lust, maybe within that of our own self-hatred, 
thinking that self-hatred equals humility, which it does not, because we have to remember that it is that Yeshua said that we have to love one another as we love ourselves. So if we can't love ourselves, then how is it that we can love another person? So what happens is God will use the Yetzer HaTov to alert us to the things of Yetzirah. And Satan will go and use the Yetzirah because the two work simultaneously within one another. Many times when we see the word Satan, the adversary, within that of the Bible, it's not talking about an external Satan or, or, or Shema'el, but instead it's talking about Yetzirah. We see this many times, many times. You know, as a matter of fact, I believe that whenever it is that we see Yeshua in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, I think he's battling Yetzirah during that time because, you know, he was 100% God, 100% man. And so, you know, even the Mashiach had to deal with Yetzirah, had to defeat Yetzirah, had to kill Yetzirah. And he killed it by not only using the scripture, but the interpretation as well of the Yarl Tarah in order to kill this Satan and make the Satan leave, which I believe, you know, again, is talking about the Yetzirah. In fact, I believe the entire book of Revelation is the battle between the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah. And so the thing about it, though, is that what ultimately ends up happening is, is, is the Satan, in the means of the Yetzirah, will use something that basically we are attached to that is not so good and it will try and make excuses for such a thing, for the use of such a thing. And ultimately what ends up happening is, you know, is this whole idea, well, here's a little more. Oh, that's not doing it for you? Here's a little more. Here's something a little bit stronger and so on and so forth down the line. So think of our crack addict now. Our crack addict, you know, started out with, with marijuana. And we start to see that the crack addict, you know, is no longer taking care of themselves. They're no longer, you know, showering. They're no longer doing all of these things. They may be putting on some weight. They may have uh, gone and put tattoos on their face or something like that, you know. And, and there's some things that are that are obviously happening here. There's something not functioning right, you know, within within this person. But they're in denial of it. They're in denial of it. You know, they think that what it is that they are doing with themselves and their bodies are is totally normal. And then, so what ultimately ends up happening is you see how it is that the crack addict, you know, how it is that they came to be that way and all the things that it is that happened to them from the time of starting with marijuana and then constantly building to more and more things. You see that it is that all of these things are dealing with their physical and you see that it is that they are a broken human being. You know, they walk into a convenience store and they're pulling out change and they lose count of the change and it takes them, you know, a half an hour to go and pay for their, for their, uh, whatever it is that they're, that they're, that they're buying and they're just, and just things are misfiring, you know, and they think they're fine. They think they're, they're, they're perfectly fine, but the person that's standing behind them in a convenience store is like, dude, this guy's high. You know, this person is, you know obviously you know got something going on but that but the person that is controlled by their yetzahara is blind to this they don't see what it is that everybody else sees they don't realize how it is that their actions are affecting others and not just the person that's in line behind them at a convenience store but also their families as well you know one of the hardest things for a, for a a person to do is to have to confront an addict 
that is somebody that it is that they care about. Many of you guys know that I took care of one of my exes that uh, she had MS. And she ultimately ended up getting addicted to her medications and all this stuff. And the thing about it, though, is that I was in denial over what she was doing for quite some time. You know, she would end up going into, I'd be at work, and I would come home, and she'd, she'd be like, I need to go to the hospital. You know, I fell, and it was always on the same wrist, you know. And the, and the thing is, is she had already had like 22 other surgeries, and I always said, okay, well, this is the MS. This is dealing with baromic pressure, you know, and all that stuff, and her falling. But then I started to get suspicious when it was like, wait a minute, I was never here when this was happening, and plus they're giving her painkillers every time that it is that um that this happens and the thing about it though is that this was going on for a while and i started to start to pick up on something here you know realizing that i was never around when this happened you know and so on and so forth and you know that it was happening so much i've never heard of other people with ms you know having this happen so often then i thought Maybe it's because of the endler dambler syndrome that she also has as well that is affecting this. And so, you know, it, it was just one of those things. And, you know, then I slowly started to realize what was going on. And then I said to myself, how is it that I go about approaching her about this and do it in shalom? You know, letting her know that I know that she has a problem, you know. And so I battled with this for quite a while because I was sitting up there going, I don't know about how to approach this. While at the still t at the same time, to still have shalom, you know, through this. And there's one thing that I can't stand as a drug addict. You know, I can't I, I can't stand it because I remember my wilder times. You know, whenever it is that I was in school, in in, in college. You know, in the late '90s, early 2000s. You know, and 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 I did not like myself back then. I did not in any way, shape, or form. And I would constantly think about how it is that, you know, as we read in the book of Mishlei, how it is that that little fly in the ointment, something that people don't think anything about, or just a little bit of marijuana, how it is that that, you know, caused a snowball effect and caused things to build and to, you know, um, go forward and all of those things. And so what we're going to look at now, let me go and put these over here to the side, is we are going to go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 20. Okay? Now it says in there, the worship of images, witchcraft, hostility, contention, jealousy, anger, rebellion, discourse, or discord, and schism. Now this is the passage where everybody goes and sources that, you know, that the word that is used for that of witchcraft or sorcery is pharmakia within within Greek. Now, the thing about this is that I don't know if this is true I, because I don't know Greek. <laughs> what I tend to do is I go and look at, if I want to know what the Greek says, then I go to uh, Franz Dalage's translation of the, of the uh, Greek into Hebrew, okay? This is, there's no English in this, it's just, Hebrew that he that he translated and then FFOZ did the Gospels, you know, in terms of an English and Hebrew of Dalages, you know, side by side. But uh, we don't have a complete text of a translation of the rest of Dalages' book. So, you know, considering that he translated it from the Greek, I tend to go to 
um, Dalage in terms of this to look at what it is that Dalage, um, his interpretation of the Greek. Because like I said, I don't know Greek. And so whenever it is I go and I do that, I go and I look within that verse and say, okay, considering I don't know what the word pharmakia looks like, I don't even know if that is the correct word in there, because again, I don't trust Bible software. <laughs> because you, I've talked about this, how it is that Strong's Concordance takes the English and sees it as being you know, the, the original text, and then it works its way backwards. And that's why it is that like, you know, it's only right about a third of a time. So I have to verify and validate this. I, I, and considering I don't know Greek, I really can't do that. But I do know Hebrew, and I do know Aramaic. So this is what we're going to look at. Within that verse, the word that is used in, the, in Dalage's translation in the Hebrew is the word kishuf. Okay? Now the word kishuf, it does mean of sorcery. It also means under the influence of. And, uh, relating to that of a particular substance whether it be like an abundance of alcohol or whether it be something else. Okay, now the definitions from this I got from the uh, the Batam Megiddo uh, Hebrew and English Dictionary and Dr. Pick's uh, Dictionary of Old Testament Words for English Readers. Okay, now that's the two places where I ended up getting this from. So now what we're going to do is we're going to say, okay, well, you know what, we could be a little bit up in the air about this. Now, as you guys know, I'm an Aramaic primist. I believe that the Aramaic is the original of the New Testament. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to the Aramaic here, chapter 5, verse 6, within that of the Kaboras Codex. Okay, And the word that is used there is the word karashutha, karashutha which means sorcery, it also means magic, it also means not in natural mind or closed off from reality, it also means fooled, okay? Now, I went and I looked this, this word up, you know, to make sure to get the fullness of the definition, in that of uh, Jastro's Dictionary of the Targumim, the Talmud Bavli, Yerushalemi, and Midrashic Literature, okay? That is this volume that is right over here. The other dictionaries that we cited are these right over here. The one in the middle is the one for Aramaic. Okay? So the thing that I can say is that those who say that it is talking about um that it's that is talking about the word pharmacia, which is where we get the word pharmacy from, is indeed accurate. But there's something that people don't think about in terms of this. It's very funny because they, people tend to not look at chronology too much whenever it comes to things within that of the Bible and certain words. We have to look at chronology. Many people will try and use that verse then because of the word pharmakia or that of the Hebrew or the Aramaic equivalents, you know, that are within there as well, within Dalage, as well as within that of the Koboris Codex. And they will try and make a case that say that it is that a person, you know, is like myself. They're a type 1 diabetic. 
that they should not go to the pharmacy and go and get insulin or they shouldn't get something to lower their blood pressure or their, you know, um, to deal with a heart condition or something that, you know, deals with the, their mental state of mind. You know, I used to take Effexor as a matter of fact, because I have high anxiety from the Asperger's syndrome, you know, and it was a great help to me, but it didn't take me out of my correct mind. Now, the thing is that first of all, a person would have to look at that and say, oh, so apparently we had a CVS around in the it, within that of Galatia. Apparently, there was a CVS around at the in the first century. There would be this place to where it is a person would go and get their synthetic insulin, where it is that they would go and get their Effexor or their Tylenol or something like that. Am I hearing this right? This is what it was they was talking about. <laughs> Makes no sense whatsoever. So you know their case falls flat on its face whenever they try and make that case. But what it is saying, however, is is this sourcing what it is that we read within that of the Talmud in Tractate Erovim, but also the history that was well known by that of the Jewish people of the nations outside of Judaism and the influences that these other religions had you know, within that of their respected societies. Take, for instance, it is recorded by a great deal of secular and religious scholars, both in absolute agreement as to all the evidence that, is, that have been collected, that within Egypt, the Egyptians, you know, after the time of Moses and before the time of Moses, were huge within that of using cannabis a part as a part of their religious ceremonies and a part of worshiping their gods. You know, they believed that they were speaking to their gods whenever it is that they would go and uh, smoke cannabis. And see, the thing is that, first of all, we see all throughout the Torah, the Torah Shebektav, as well as Torah Shebiyape, to not be like the Egyptians. You know, it goes as far as to say to separate meat and dairy because of the fact that within Mishraim they celebrated the dead. They worshipped the dead within that of Egypt. But Judaism is the faith of life. And so we don't mix meat and dairy because of that. We don't go and tattoo ourselves with the names of the dead because of the fact that that is what the people in Egypt did. They worshipped the dead. I mean, Hashem goes to such great lengths to tell us to not be like those people in Mishraim tells us as well to not be like the goyim, to be like the nations, to not be like all these others. And what were the nations doing at these times? Whenever it is that Hashem says this, we often end up seeing things of witchcraft. And we constantly see that throughout that time, plants and things, you know, of, of, of that sort were used within that of, you know, smoking and certain things, plants that would cause a certain psychological effect, certain kind of mushrooms, and all these things that people use to communicate with their gods. They would use these things to communicate with these gods. And so the thing about it though is that there's a long line of history of this. And so the question then goes and becomes, well, what about for medical use? I'll tell you, I, I kept getting that question all day today when I said I was going to do this teaching today. What about for medical use? 
it's very interesting. If a person has ever gone and done a, uh, a study, and I've known many people who have that have had, you know, cancer and several other things, and there's these test studies that they do of these new things that it is that they, the, the drug companies are looking to put out. And the thing that is always very interesting is that when a person's a part of this test, they will be on the particular medication for a duration of time, and then they'll be taken off of it, but not told that they're taken off of it and given a placebo. And what ultimately ends up happening is a lot of these people feel that it is that they're getting better when they're on the placebo. Okay? They, they, they really, you know, they, they think that they're still getting the particular drug. And so there's a psychological effect to this. There's a psychological effect. One prime example of this is that I remember going and looking at this years and years ago. And it was part of a uh, of a experiment that I did within that of my psychology class. And we had this final exam to where it is that we had to do a psychological analysis. And I chose to do it on the placebo effect within that of society and many different things. And so what I did is I created this website that basically what made it look like there was actually scientific things, you know, and all that stuff, but it really wasn't. It was just mumbo jumbo. But I was advocating that basically to rid yourself of a headache to eat a hamburger. <laughs> now, there is no scientific evidence to support whatsoever that, you know, that a um, person who eats a hamburger is going to clear themselves of a headache. Now, I was watching the website hits. Now, this was back in 2003, 2004, somewhere around there. You know, and so you get a couple of hundred hits on a GeoCities website. You're thinking you're doing pretty good, you know. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, especially something so far out there. But I would go and take this and put this up like on MySpace and say, check this out. Let me know if you guys think that this is accurate and all that stuff, you know. And so we would go and do that. You pass it around on GeoCities. I'd email it out to people. You know, uh, there was a website called College Club that it is that you put in your college email address and you got the chat feature and you got uh, message boards and places to buy your books and all that stuff. It was a really neat website. I wish it was still around. But I, I went and I put it up on there and all this stuff. And so, you know, a couple of hundred hits on the website. And I was getting messages from people. I was getting emails saying, oh, yeah, I, I, I did this and it totally worked. Eating the hamburger cleared me of my headache almost immediately. I am so glad I found this website. I'm going to tell everybody about how eating a hamburger is going to clear your headache. <laughs> and the thing about it, though, is that our brains, in many ways, are much more powerful in our influence of how it is that we feel than we realize. There are many people who believe that marijuana usage is actually going to help them with cancer or any of these other things. Now, the thing about those, many will cite biased studies saying, oh, well, look, well, here's the evidence. But then you look at other studies as well saying, well, you know, the thing about it, though, is that, that you know, it may be helping in some respect, but however, for every time they, they, they do this, this many amount of brain cells are being destroyed, and so therefore... What's happening is the is the pain neurons within the the brain is the thing that is being destroyed. 
And after it's done so much, it cannot regrow. You know, and we see this with individuals who, you know, are, 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 are drunks and drug addicts. They'll, they'll fall down. They seem seemingly, you know, hit pretty hard, but they don't get hurt. You know, it doesn't seem they may, they may swell up and all this stuff, but you know, it's almost like, you know, that the, that the pain neurons in their brain just aren't working. You know, we've, we've seen this. We've all seen this, especially if we've ever been in college. You know, we've all seen this. And so the thing about it, though, is that, you know, you can convince somebody that something that has no scientific uh, basis whatsoever is helping you in some area. But the fact is, chances are it's really not. It's the placebo effect because our brains are making us think that, first of all, that if we do this, then it's going to help us. I just found out today that a friend of mine, and, and I'll go ahead and mention his name, Joseph Israel, very popular messianic uh, reggae singer. Um, I've been texting Joseph for the past couple of months, wondering why it is I haven't gotten response back from him. I actually used to produce Joseph's radio show, which was called Kingdom Road Radio. As a matter of fact, if you go to um, yeshuacast.com, you can find all those old archives that I actually produced for him. And I disagreed with Joseph adamantly on many different things. I disagreed with him on um, sacred name theology, anti-rabbinic theology. He was a big two-house guy. Um, and he was also a big marijuana advocate. But the thing I can say about Joseph is Joseph was one of the nicest people that you'll ever meet. And I just found out today, months after the fact, that Joseph had passed away, that he had cancer. And I, and I was sitting up there reading about this, you know, the things that he had written about his treatment and that other people had written. And it was crazy because, you know, uh, this was Joseph's idea was if you do things a certain way, that there's not really any sort of spiritual element. It's just like the Torah is like a list of instructions to do, you know, there's no spiritual element to it. And so, you know, if I eat this you know, and I lived this lifestyle, this vegan lifestyle that it is that, that, that he lived, then, uh, you know, that I'm going to be good. I'm going to get better. Oh, this person says to go and do, you know, alkaline, you know, an alkaline diet. I'm going to go and do this. And of course he increased in his marijuana intake. Um, Joseph passed away really quickly from that of um, doing the things that it was that he was doing because he was influenced by the things that he was reading online as opposed to actual science. He passed away really, really quickly. As a matter of fact, I was surprised to find out that it was in, it was in March that he passed away, and I thought Joseph was just mad at me or something, and I did not realize that he had passed away. Did not know this. And the thing about it, though, is that, you know, the thing that people don't realize is people advocate for medical marijuana and all these things, but there's no real science to back up that it has helped in any ways. In fact, I, I was I was looking when I was researching this, and I I you know, and I was researching this before it is that I even found out about Joseph's death, but I've seen time and time again how people who it is that had cancer, how marijuana usage, whether it be through synthetic or what have you had actually caused their cancer to speed up, hadn't helped them in any way, shape, or form. So there's a lot of junk science that is out there on the internet. And, you know, the thing about it, though, is that we have to look at the Bible and realize that the Bible's true, that it is, that what it says is true. 
that its application within that of Tadashi B. Alpay is beneficial to us. And the thing about it, though, is at times we hold on to and gravitate towards the things of the world, and it causes us to really lose sight of God in many ways and what God's will is for us. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to be honestly truthful with you about this. You cannot, cannot fulfill mitzvahs, lishma Hashem, for the sake of God, by holding on to the things of the world, such as drug usage, such as using marijuana. You can't do it. You can't do it. You're putting your trust into something that is not within that of the trust of, of Hashem. And you don't realize the snowball effect that it, that, that it is happening. The thing that you'll always end up finding with people who are a part of Say, for instance, the Hebrew Roots movement of the Messianic faith or who are huge advocates of marijuana. These are the same people who believe the earth's flat. These are the same people who believe that it is that based upon your skin color is, you know, how it is that you are blessed and seen by that of God. Um, these are people who end up seeing the Torah as a checklist. And they're doing great damage to themselves because of the fact that they are not able to connect with the spiritual elements because they have that blockage within that of their life spiritually through that of the reliance upon things of the world, the things that it is that they enjoy. Many of these people gravitate towards the Hebrew Roots movement. Why? Because of the fact that anything that is weird, anything that is out of the norm, is welcomed within that of the Hebrew Roots movement. So in many ways, people find themselves a community saying, you know what, I can go and advocate for marijuana and, you know, nobody's going to look down on me because all of these people are screwed up. That's why a lot of people come into the Hebrew Roots movement. That's the honest truth. Many of you don't want to hear that. I'm going to get a lot of angry emails and all that stuff. I know it. It happens every week anyway, and this week is probably going to be even more so, but... You know, the thing about it, though, is that we got to be honest with ourselves. Got to be honest with ourselves, and we got to be honest, you know, in terms of this kind of application. All right. I wish each and every single one of you shalom bracha, peace and a blessing. Shalom. So you want to learn Hebrew or Aramaic, or maybe both? Make sure to check out HebrewandAramaic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time, and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step-by-step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons that you'll find anywhere on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. So visit HebrewAndAramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month.